0: How many of you remember the movie, City Slickers? It's a generational thing, I know, but many people out there have. I find it fun, I've always enjoyed that movie because it was filmed on the back acres of Ghost Ranch, one of our denomination's national conference centers in New Mexico. The movie is about three men, old friends from way back, now approaching middle age, who spend some vacation time each year doing something daring that poses a profound contrast with the uptight lifestyle they live most of the time. The plot revolves around their decision to spend a vacation together going on a cattle drive, helping a bunch of seasoned cowboys move a herd of cattle across the big plains of the West with the hope that, in the process, they might get in touch with their more primitive selves and find out something useful about the meaning of life. The trail boss of this cattle drive is a leathery old cowboy named Curly who lives up to all our stereotypes about cowboys. He's mean, he's tough, he can do anything with a rope, a whip, or a knife, but in his tough and rugged way, he's also very wise. In one of the more serious scenes of the comedy, Curly is riding alongside one of the city slickers, Mitch, a character played by Billy Crystal, and their conversation turns philosophical. Against the backdrop of an open sky and rough-hewn mountains, clear streams and ruggedly beautiful scenery, Mitch turns to Curly and says with longing, Your life makes sense to you. To which Curly replies, You city folk, you worry a lot. How old are you? 38? 39, Mitch corrects. You all come up here about the same age. You spend 50 weeks getting knots in your rope. And you think that two weeks up here will untie them for you. None of you get it. He pauses a minute, and then he goes on. You know what the secret of life is? No, what? asks Mitch. Curly replies, one thing. Just one thing. You stick to that, and everything else don't mean nothing. That's great, says Mitch, but what's the one thing? Curly looks at him for a minute and says, that's what you got to figure out. We're in the middle of July, halfway through the summer season, so maybe today falls after your own two weeks away during which you got some of the knots out of your rope untied and you're ready now to jump into the rhythm of work which orders your life or maybe your two weeks haven't come yet and you're waiting longingly for the chance to focus on that one thing that matters the most in your life so what is the one thing today's story in the gospel of luke gives us pause As we consider that question. As the story goes, Jesus arrives in a village on his way to Jerusalem, and a woman named Martha welcomes him into her home. Clearly, Martha knows Jesus and shows him hospitality as soon as he arrives. We assume that Jesus comes in and takes a seat, happy to rest his tired feet and pleased to be among friends. In the house, We also meet Mary, Martha's sister, and are told that she takes a seat at Jesus' feet where she begins to listen to what he has to say. The story takes a sharp turn when Martha, distracted by her many tasks, comes to Jesus and demands, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work myself? Tell her to help me. The passage doesn't elaborate on what Martha's tasks are. We can imagine that she's preparing dinner, cleaning the house, or maybe talking to neighbors, whatever folks do around dinner time. The Greek word for tasks, diakonia, in Luke and Acts, often refers to food preparations and table service, but it can also be translated more broadly as service and ministry. Some scholars have suggested that Martha may be the leader of a house church and that her leadership responsibilities are what have her worried and stressed. The problem here is not that Martha is busy serving and providing hospitality, but rather that she's worried and distracted. The word translated distracted has the connotation of being pulled apart, or dragged in different directions. Can any of you identify with that? Even today, some people wonder if the gospel writer Luke had a hidden, not-so-healthy agenda in the way he tells the story. They suspect that Luke's real agenda is that he is frankly bothered by women like Martha trying to exercise too much leadership in the early Christian community. So he tells this story in which Jesus criticizes Martha, who is actively engaged in doing and working and in charge, while he praises Mary, who is passive and silent. Is Luke trying to put women back in their quiet, obedient places? If we read the story in the larger context of Jesus' ministry, though, This view doesn't really fit with Jesus' view of women. In Luke's Gospel and in its sequel, The Acts of the Apostles, women are not passive and silent, but prominent, powerful, worthy, articulate, and celebrated. In fact, Mary, who sits at Jesus' feet in this story, is actually pictured in the posture of a disciple, an important role normally reserved for men. Jesus himself protested against the rules and boundaries of the social codes of the time when he intentionally made a Samaritan earlier in this chapter and a woman the central figures of two very important stories about the rules of the kingdom of God. There's nothing wrong in and of itself, with Martha's fixing the food. This is the way people show love and welcome, hospitality and care. There's nothing wrong, in fact. There's something absolutely essential about showing one's love of God and neighbor by baking the bread and washing the olives. By preparing a hospitable meal, Martha is doing a good thing. A necessary thing, an act of service. But we sense that something is not right, for she seems distracted, angry, exhausted, beaten, and worn down. Mary has chosen to listen to Jesus, the living Word, who is present in her house. And for her, everything depends on hearing and trusting what God is all about. What did she hear at Jesus' feet? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh, forgive. As you are forgiven. Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. As tempting as it is, this is not a story about Mary being right and Martha being wrong. They are both right, and they challenge us to find the balance between two activities the balance between loving God by being attentive to God and loving God by doing and going and loving in the world of God's people. We can't do one without the other for very long, nor can we live into the fullness that God intends for us if we don't find the balance. We certainly understand Martha's predicament all too well. It isn't only matters of hospitality, that distract us and pull us in many different directions. It's the unrelenting nature of our schedules, schedules which we do control, whether we admit it or not. Oddly enough, it seems less complicated to plow ahead and attempt to keep up with the calendar than to make a change. Indeed, we're often so distracted that our sense of Sabbath takes on an ironic twist. Worship becomes a scheduling problem, one that interferes with the one day when we can sleep in or spend time with family. But while the rest and recreation we seek are certainly in keeping with a scriptural understanding of Sabbath, whenever we miss worship, or the opportunity to learn together, we lose the chance to rest in God's Word for the sake of spiritual refreshment, renewal, and discernment. Truly, much of the busyness and distraction we experience today stems from the noblest of intentions— the desire to provide for our families and to give those we love every opportunity to enrich their lives. At the same time, if we act on the story of the Samaritan that we heard last week, we have a true commitment to serve God in Christ through caring for our neighbors. Yet if all these activities leave us no time to be still in the Lord's presence, and to hear the word of God that is speaking today, we're likely to end up anxious, distracted, and troubled. And at the same time, to be involved in a kind of service that is devoid of love and joy and is resentful of others. Trying to serve without being nurtured by God's word is like expecting good fruit to grow from a tree that has been uprooted. Martha's worry and distraction prevent her from being truly present with Jesus, and they cause her to, her to drive a wedge between her and her sister, and between Jesus and herself. She missed out on the one thing, not the better thing, of being in the gracious presence of Jesus, listening to his words and knowing that she is valued, not for what she does or how well she does it, but for who she is as a child of God. This text isn't so much about siding with Mary or Martha. It's more about living into the kingdom of God that is here and now, through putting Christ at the center of our lives. Even John Calvin reminds us that we should not imagine that Mary intends to sit at Jesus' feet forever. Her choice may be the good portion, but it's not the whole. Both hearing and doing together constitute the life of discipleship. Noted preacher Fred Craddock has put it this way, We must not cartoon the scene, Martha up to her eyeballs in soap suds, Mary pensively on a stool in the den, and Jesus giving scriptural warrant for letting dishes pile up in the sink. If we censure Martha too harshly, she may abandon serving altogether. And if we commend Mary too profusely, she may sit there forever. There's a time to go and do. There's a time to listen and reflect, knowing which and when is a matter of spiritual discernment. If we were to ask Jesus which examples applies to us, the Samaritan or Mary, his answer would be yes. Luke intentionally pairs the story of Mary and Martha with a story of the Good Samaritan in chapter 10. In response to the lawyer's question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The two stories make a complementary point. Mary is following the first directive. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And the Samaritan demonstrates the second. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I confess that my discomfort with the story of Mary and Martha lingers, as it may also for you. This short and deceptively simple narrative turns out to be far more complex than it appears at first glance. And no single reading is likely to help that. Perhaps it's because Luke's story is left suspended. What happens next? Were Mary and Martha ever reconciled? Were they all able to enjoy the meal that Martha had prepared? Was Martha finally able to sit and give her full attention to Jesus? Did she really want to do so? What we do know is that Jesus invites all of us who are worried and distracted by many things to sit and rest in his presence. To hear his words of grace and truth, to know that we are loved and valued as children of God, and to be renewed in faith and strengthened for service. Our life in Christ is a both and— Reality, not an either or proposition. We can't do one without the other for a very long time. At least we can't do one without the other and live into the fullness that God intends for us. There is indeed grace in the balance. So go and do. Go and do. But set aside anxiety in your going and doing by making time to listen for God. Chances are that God has a lot to say. And certainly God will say the one thing that we need to hear. So let's listen. For the next few minutes, I invite you to be still, be silent, and know God's presence. Focus on your breathing. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in God's grace. Breathe out the mercy of God. Reflect on God's word for you today. Julie's introduction to hymn 333 will signal the end of our silence. And I invite you to remain seated to sing.